Hello, Kubernetes community. Welcome back to the PodCTL podcast. We are coming to you once again. Uh, Tyler, good to, see, good to hear from you. How are you doing this week? How's the weather up where you're at? Uh, buried in snow is, uh, as it seems to be uh, par for the course recently. So we got we got hit with that storm that was coming up the coast. And then I guess apparently there's another one next week. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's weird. Cause it's cold down here in the south, too. So it's uh, it's very weird to have uh, sort of winter weather as, as spring approaches and stuff. But, uh, you know, that's, that's part of life. Um, you know, we're all sort of dealing with it. I'm going to be in Thailand next week. So uh, this show will go out probably by the time people listen to this, I'll be over in Thailand. We're doing some some sales kickoff stuff for Red Hat over in Asia Pacific. Um, So not 100% sure if we'll get a show out the following week or not. Depends on if flights get back, but uh, we'll definitely get this show out. This one should be very good. Um, Real quick, a little bit of... um, news before we before we jump into our guest um and this news is probably not huge or earth shattering by any means but um if you follow the cncf and you follow kubernetes uh the project kind of what they call officially graduated so it's now an official cncf project uh which which means you know it's it's become stable uh it's got a full governance model around it um it's it's got a whole bunch of other things that people can feel really comfortable about so that's uh it's a good thing for kubernetes we've we felt like it was uh pretty stable a lot of customers been using it for a long time but it's now now kind of official from the cncf yeah, they have the you know incubation and then you know graduate kind of designations, and that's sort of your your incubation, your probationary period of like, well, let's see if people are actually using this thing. Like, give you time to kind of build the structures that they expect, like you know, accepting the code of conduct and you know having a steering committee and governance and all that kind of stuff. So then you know once all those things are in place, uh, you know it's time for it to graduate, and and that's where where Kubernetes is at. Yep. Yep. So it will be it'll be interesting to watch um, kind of the timelines for other projects that are in, um, you know, sort of incubation or uh, uh, kind of evolving stages as well. So obviously, Kubernetes really drives the boat over at the CNCF and and the other projects really kind of uh, gravitate around it. So uh, but it's good to see. Uh, I suspect we will continue to see the market grow. We've we've been seeing it grow like crazy, but uh, it's always good to kind of have the stamp of approval that something is, uh, you know, it's ready, ready to go for production. So well, listen, man. Yeah, Yeah, go ahead. Well, real quick, though, was that an intentional uh, Kubernetes helmsman drives the boat pun or? No, no, (laughs) no, no, not at all. I'm not that clever. (laughs) (laughs) Well, listen, um, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's been a while since we've, uh, we've had a chance to to, to have any sort of bad news and blame things. And so anytime you want to blame things in technology, you've got to talk about networking. Um, Networking always takes the blame for (laughs) anytime things aren't going well. Um, But uh, no, we've got a great guest on today. Really excited to have one of our colleagues um, and uh, really kind of a you know networking expert. Glad to have Mark Curry. Uh, Mark joins us from Red Hat. As I mentioned, he is uh, uh, OpenShift Principal Product Manager for Container Infrastructure and really kind of the guy that is keeping track of everything going on networking-wise uh, for OpenShift and for Kubernetes uh, at Red Hat. So, Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot, Brian. Um, Tyler, I appreciate it, the, the opportunity to come and speak. Yeah. So, you know, uh, just by way of introduction to everybody, um, give us a little bit of your background. You know, what are you doing both at Red Hat, but also, you know, kind of in some of the roles that you had prior to to being at Red Hat, uh, you know, in networking and maybe some other spaces? Sure. Um, I won't go back too far, but um, I I come originally from a science background. I got my master's in physics, um, and it was all doing physics kind of problems on a bunch of supercomputing facilities around the country. Um, if I was ever going to complete that on time, I had to get pretty good with optimizing the programs I was working with. And eventually, one of the supercomputing centers, uh, the North Carolina one, hired me to 
to work with all their college and university uh, science and engineering professors and graduate students to optimize their programs. Uh, so then I started teaching uh, that to, um, or on behalf of Cray Supercomputer themselves, SGI, HPE, and even Red Hat. Uh, and eventually that transitioned to a job at Red Hat, uh, creating and delivering uh, course materials for everything from system and network administration to device driver and kernel programming. Um, I then went, uh, after being at Red Hat for a while, I went to Cisco to hone my uh, networking skills for a few years. Um, and now I'm back at Red Hat, putting all that experience to work as product manager for OpenShift infrastructure. Um, the things I focus on uh, primarily are networking, uh, the master node, uh, telco NFE use cases, um, our OpenShift on OpenStack integration, and uh, also scale and performance. Very nice. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, you know, one place we could start is, and, and uh, you know, we've talked on some of our basics episodes of like, you know, the, the setup of it, but we never really talk a little bit more in detail about networking in Kubernetes. And I think this is uh, an area where people are new to containers and specifically Kubernetes, you know, kind of their expectations, uh, you know, they're thinking of stuff like VMs or it's, well, it just pops on the network and then it's getting its DHCP or whatever off of my physical network and away we go. And then they get to containers and there's all these extra IP addresses and they're trying to figure it out. Can, can you walk us through kind of the, at a high level, the the core elements of how, you know, containers and pods and stuff get addressed and networked um, and, and routed in a Kubernetes environment? Sure. Um, so it's, it's a big topic, to be sure. Uh, but let me try to make sense of it by, by providing a high-level overview and, and talking a little bit about um, how, it, how it all kind of comes together. Of course, uh, like any good technology, it should appear to work like magic, right? But there's a lot of um, effort that goes on behind the scenes to make it so that it's one of those things that beyond the initial configuration and maybe a few tweaks here and there that you hopefully don't have to think about too often. Um, so let's start with what the, the basic requirements of networking that Kubernetes has. So, um, you know, for example, each pod must have a single interface, um, like an ETH zero. Now that's, that's true today, but uh, let me come back to that in a moment. So each pod must have a single interface um, with a unique IP address, at least within the cluster. Um, it must be able to talk to any other pod in the cluster, um, but there can be policy rules in that cluster that restrict the pod's traffic. So it's not allowed to just go anywhere it wants to go. Um, so that really, in a nutshell, is, is the basics of it. Everything else on top, uh, beyond that is icing on the cake, so to speak. It's, it's what, what differentiates some of the different SDN providers in the market from each other today. Um, so going back to the single interface per container, let me, let me talk briefly about that because this is something that's going on right now. Um, upstream in uh, Kubernetes, and specifically in the SIG network, there is a working group that's, um, that's uh, making some pretty good progress on defining the method of getting to multiple interfaces per container. Um, multiple interfaces has generally not been required. However, as container adoption grows, the number of use cases, uh, the varied use cases, is multiplying, and there are now um, a critical mass of use cases that do, in fact, require multiple interfaces. 
So um, some examples of these are the ability to properly separate control and data plane traffic. Uh, there are lots of telco NFV use cases where um, in, the, in the creation of their virtual network functions or VNFs. Uh, there are some kernel bypass technologies that require this, uh, container-native storage, um, container-native uh, virtualization like KubeVirt, the list goes on and on. But um, there's definitely a reason nowadays to add more than one interface to a container, and that interface can potentially be controlled by completely different network providers, uh, network SDMs. So that's sort of an interesting development. Um, uh, so. Uh, but again, coming back to the, the concept of simple, um, it, it's all based around, uh, well, you know, I'll take, for example, um, the, the way it's done in OpenShift, which is pretty similar to the way most folks do it. Um, it all revolves around an open virtual switch bridge. Um, this open virtual switch bridge has port connected pods. So, um, and, and there's one of these OBS bridges per node, be that a VM or a bare metal machine. Um, pods that are on the same node communicate to each other uh, over these port connections to the OBS bridge. Um, and then there's another port uh, specific to traffic that might be traveling to another node in the cluster. Um, so any pod on a local node that wants to communicate to a second, uh, second node and a pod that's over there, um, th there's a variety of ways of doing this, but for example, the way we do it with OpenShift is we use VXLAN encapsulation and inside their virtual network ID to identify that this in fact is a pod that's supposed to be communicating with another pod on another node elsewhere in the cluster. Um, and then there's a port for on the OVS bridge for inbound and outbound traffic. Um, so any traffic that's leaving the cluster or any traffic coming into the cluster from an external source. So um, that's kind of the bulk of it, um, but there are of course lots of variations on a theme. So uh, for example, when it comes to defining how it is that traffic gets um, into and out of the cluster, we have at our front door, um, we have a router, specifically an HA proxy router. It not only uh, does the routing um, of traffic, but it also provides a load balancing point. Um, it's built into the platform. It supports common web traffic like HTTP, HTTPS, DLS SNI. Um, we have integrations with hardware vendors like F5, um, Avi Networks, et cetera, for um, doing, uh, doing it a little bit differently or providing alternative pathways. And, um, we also, uh, for those folks that, um, that have traffic other than some of the most common uh, types of protocols like HTTP or HTTPS, we have other mechanisms for getting traffic into the cluster like host ports or host network. Um, this is where ports get defined on the host where the pod is. Um, it would require some custom scheduling on the part of the application developer, but they can be used to write some custom ingress rules um, if they don't want to do that, there's also uh, the ability to create what are called service node ports. These are provided by Kubernetes. They, um, um, and the way this works is when you define the port, it actually defines it and treats it the same for, um, for that same port on every node. Um, any traffic coming into that port on every node in the cluster would forward to a particular service. And this is a good option for handling non-HTTP traffic. Um, for traffic leaving the cluster, 
there are still more options. Um, so typically what happens uh, by default is that any traffic leaving the cluster is going to be natted to the host's IP. Um, and uh, we have egress policies to allow the filtering of that outgoing traffic, um, as well as a couple of technologies for keeping IP persistent outside uh, on its way out. So we have something called an egress router where you can assign a source IP to a particular service. Um, and we also have, have uh, the ability to assign an IP per namespace so that any traffic leaving that namespace would be associated with that particular IP. There are other technologies, including one that, uh, uh, that's in our future, where we're going to get to the point where we can assign an IP address to each individual pod in the cluster. And so this is, um, this is something that's needed in the industry uh, by a lot of customers because it provides the ability to filter that traffic at the edge of the cluster with whatever kind of uh, router you have there. Okay. So it sounds like, um, you know, if, like, if I'm sort of summarizing this, at a real basic level, um, you know, the ability to, to address a pod, um, allow pods to communicate with themselves, uh, with, with other pods on a node, um, or to, you know, communicate with pods on another node, pretty straightforward. And then, like you mentioned, you know, you start to get into, um, you know, really kind of having to understand your application, understand your traffic patterns. And there are a bunch of tools then available for the applications to say, um, you know, inbound, this is maybe how I want traffic to work. Outbound, this is how I want traffic to work. If I have to specify an IP address or a certain protocol, um, kind of those tools are, are there either you know, native in Kubernetes or in some of the platforms that, that are commercially available, like an OpenShift, um, you know, to make those more sophisticated, complex kind of traffic patterns work. That's correct. So the, the, the idea is to keep it stupid simple, right? But of course, there are always going to be caveats. Sure. And it's those caveats that we have to develop tooling for uh, to, to satisfy the criteria. Yeah. Now, um, Something that happened a while ago was, you know, there, there's there's lots of SDN implementations that are out there in the marketplace, both commercially as well as, you know, open projects like a Calico or Flannel or something. Um, and and the Kubernetes community did a very smart thing, I believe. Uh, at the time, they, they created this concept called CNI or Container Native Interface. Um, can you give us a sense of what, what does CNI do and, and kind of how does it relate to, to, you know, trying to plug in an SDN to your environment? Sure. So Red Hat was an early supporter and contributor to the uh, Kubernetes CNI design and implementation effort. Um, CNI, the Container Native, uh, excuse me, Container Networking Interface, its sole responsibility is to provide network connectivity for containers and removing those allocated resources once the container has been deleted. So CNI itself is really just a specification and set of libraries used for creating those plugins that do all the Linux container network interface configuration. So CNI plugins, um, they can talk to the Kubernetes API to get more information about pods. For example, maybe they want to read labels or custom annotations that would be meaningful to that plugin or by reading third-party objects that it, it defined. Um, uh, but, and, and to that and to that point, there are uh, a number of CNI plugins, including our own. So we've made our network, the default SDN, a CNI plugin. 
Um, we're in the middle of migrating our default, in fact, to another SDN, uh, which is going to provide some advantages to us, uh, named Open Virtual Network or OVN. So our current SDN and the one we're moving to are both uh, CNI plugins, and it's quite literally a matter of unplugging one and plugging in the other. Um, it's much simpler to do that when you're doing a greenfield deployment, um, but uh, but otherwise the implementation of a new entirely different set of or way of doing networking is as simple as plugging it in. Um, we, def we design our default SDN to satisfy most customer use cases, but we have integrations with a pretty rich ecosystem of third-party vendors that provide SDN solutions that are also CNI plugins, which is one of our requirements for them. Um, each, each of these provides an opinionated view of how networking is best provided to the container cluster and, and, and how it is that they're differentiated from their competitors in the marketplace. So some typical examples in no particular order, uh, Nuage, Tigera's Calico, Juniper's Contrail, Cisco's Contive, Big Switch, Flannel, VMware's NSXT, um, and coming soon, it's, in, it's a work in progress, Open Daylight. Um, each of these are validated third-party SDN solutions um, that can be used as a networking alternative, for example, in our product. So um, which one do you choose? It, it kind of comes down to customer use cases and preference, really. So, so Mark, a recent thing that was added to Kubernetes in, in the last couple of versions was network policy. Um, and kind of, can you talk about that and what it provides and sort of like, does that replace some of the functionality of some of the commercial SDNs? Does it enhance it, give access to it? Because I know some of the things it seems like that's why you would use an SDN. So can you, can you clear that one up for me? Yeah, sure. So what network policy is, it's a core Kubernetes network plugin that provides fine-grained policy, and by fine-grained, I mean down to the specific port and protocol on a container, um, but provides that fine-grained policy capability as to which pods can communicate with other pods within the cluster. Um, there has been a multi-tenant network plugin. Um, you may be wondering, well, how is it that it's different from that? Um, the multi-tenant plugin that's been available, it has, has a pretty severe limitation in that it does not provide a mechanism for any type of exceptions. So maybe I want to say no container from this particular namespace can communicate with any other namespace. Well, okay, except for these two pods, which do need to talk to each other. The multi-tenant plugin in existing did not have that capability. Uh, network policy does. So network policy allows the project to um, assume control of its own namespace and define the policy that makes sense for its own project. Um, cluster admin control um, or combined project admins working together is still required if, for example, you want to speak to a different namespace. So you can't just suddenly say by defining a YAML file that you want to uh, have the ability to communicate with someone else's project's containers. So uh, you define for your container, and what, the way it works is you define for who's allowed to speak to your containers. Um, the method of defining a network policy leverages the core Kubernetes concepts of label and selectors. So labels are arbitrarily named key value pairs that can be assigned to individual pods or to entire namespaces. 
and they can define a wide variety of pod characteristics. So for example, you may have the key value pair of role database, um, and maybe you assign that to a pod. And then you can define rules that say, I would like um, to allow the following types of traffic to interact with my database container. So you define selectors, which are really expressions that are used to filter or combine these labels in the creation of a subset of pods and or pod traffic type that's allowed for ingress traffic. Um, and applying these selectors to labels, thereby it abstracts away all that underlying network complexity um, that was implemented to achieve ultimately the desired result of access privilege. So developers get these policies automatically applied to their pods with easily automated uh, labeling mechanisms that uh, followed along as it scales up and down. Nice. So the ops, the ops team still has a ton of visibility and control over the granularity and the developers can just kind of, uh, you know, take, take it as it's, it's self-service or it's applied to their projects. That's very cool. Um, so, that's correct. So one of the topics that's, that's been, you know, getting some, I mean, if you're in the networking space or uh, in the space, it's been getting some, uh, you know, just some buzz lately is this idea of sort of like ingress and, and how, um, you know, how to deal with ingress traffic and, and how that's sort of been changing over the last year or so. Can you give us some sense of kind of what's, what's evolving in the kind of ingress egress space or maybe just the ingress space? Sure. Um, that's a great question. So, um, specifically, there is something called Kubernetes ingress. And so ingress is a set of rules that define how inbound traffic is allowed to reach the cluster services. You can think of ingress um, not so much as like a load balancer, but it's this document somewhere that specifies some mappings between URLs and services within the same namespace. So ingresses work fine even for cross-namespace routing, but you, you basically use one ingress per namespace with a cluster scope ingress controller, which actually would do the routing between. Um, in OpenShift, we aren't currently using uh, ingress, and that's a pretty common question is why aren't we? The answer is partly that our routes capability is currently a superset of Kubernetes ingress capabilities. When the two reach feature parity, we're definitely going to be investigating that possibility of moving to ingress for closer alignment with, uh, with Kubernetes. Gotcha. Um, I would like to point out, however, um, that as far as the ingress resource itself is concerned, we have no issues and we do support that. How a vendor plugin, and in fact, there are several CNI plugins, would use that resource um, if they're providing ingress capability would, would lie outside of Red Hat's scope. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. And I think that's an area that sometimes, um, you know, people will get confused about, um, you know, kind of comparing, say, you know, kind of trunk Kubernetes or the, you know, Kubernetes to, to what's in OpenShift. And I think a lot of times, um, you know, because OpenShift has been, um, doing Kubernetes for, for as long as anybody. Um, we, you know, we have a lot of customers that have some pretty unique requirements. Sometimes there are some, some superset situations where we had to build something, um, you know, ahead of what was going on in the community. Uh, we took that knowledge, pushed it back into the community. And like you said, um, you know, the, 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 the goal is that the things will kind of reconverge at some point, but, uh, you know, don't, don't ever kind of shortchange what a, what a customer needs to do. Um, maybe sometimes in the short term. So very cool. 
a question I have is, um, you know, one of the things that we, we see pretty commonly is, you know, when you're talking to customers of where they're running Kubernetes. So, you know, they're running on the public cloud. Um, often they're running an on-prem and they're running on some sort of IaaS, whether it's just, you know, virtualization, like something like VMware or OpenStack or, their, or you know, VMware or other virtualization stuff like uh, Rev or a cloud-type platform like OpenStack, uh, what are the things we're working on to bridge those layers? Because, I mean, I know even previously, though some of those technologies have their own networking and virtual networking and encapsulation SDNs and stuff. And if you get it, you know, you start into uh, Russian nesting dolls of, you know, virtual networks inside of virtual networks inside of virtual networks. I'm sure that gets gets hard to to operate and diagnose. That's a very good question. So, again, we, we want... Networking, if networking is done properly, it should be something someone does not have to think about. It should just work, right? So what, what the hard part is making it work across all of those different uh, infrastructure layers and different cloud providers that are out there. So um, what, we, what we do is with some of the technology that we use to define how it is the pods communicate across different nodes, for example, I mentioned we use VXLAN. VXLAN is a technology that we use to in, encapsulate the packets, assign a virtual network ID that associates the pod traffic between different um, nodes and, and, and aligns that traffic to a particular um, set, uh, or a particular namespace. So we use that to to remove some of the complexities of the fact that it is actually moving across somebody's infrastructure that was provided somewhere. Um, but um, let, me, let me take as the example, um, in addition to cloud providers, let me take as the example running on, say, a, a provider like OpenStack. So um, I work pretty closely with an OpenStack product manager on, on improving the entire um, integration between uh, our, our CASPAS layer and their infrastructure layer. Um, one of the technologies that we've been working on is, um, and maybe the primary enabler, is an OpenStack project named Courier. Um, this was created, in fact, by another Red Hatter named Tony Segura-Pomadon. Um, there has been considerable investment in creating a CNI plugin named Courier Kubernetes. And what that does is it provides the communication layer between Kubernetes and OpenStack's Neutron. Um, what that means is that whatever SDN is plugged into Neutron at the far end can provide networking for Kubernetes containers, enabling um, a hybrid container VM story. It also enables other capabilities such as OpenStack provided DNS as a service, load balancing as a service, firewall as a service, and so on. Um, in fact, in a future release of, um, in particular, Red Hat's OpenStack, the OpenStack services themselves will be containerized, so it only makes sense for a tighter integration with Kubernetes. Um, uh, specific to OpenStack, I also mentioned that another differentiator is that once that career Kubernetes um, connection is made, other projects, like for example, the Ironic project in OpenStack um, can provide state-of-the-art bare metal provisioning and management for, open, for OpenShift or for uh, container clusters that otherwise um, is not there. So there are lots of advantages to building in this integration. And so 
uh, and taking advantage of that infrastructure's native capabilities. So we do that um, when we, not only for OpenStack deployments, but for any cloud provider deployments that are out there as well. Okay. Uh, in fact, if you, there are, uh, in fact, there are many things to work out um, uh, beyond that career Kubernetes CNI plugin to make it enterprise ready, but look for a preview demo of this integration at our upcoming Red Hat Summit. Nice. Nice. Well, cool. Well, listen, Mark, I, I know we've, we've kind of gone through a lot of things and we were talking before the show, like this is just a, it's a, it's a big space. Everything from, you know, how to, how to network the, the, the pods and, and the containers themselves, you know, kind of aligning it with what applications need ingress in it and, and, uh, and egress traffic, um, all the different plugins and stuff. I think what we tried to do in this show was really give people the basics, um, you know, cover a lot of the basics of the topics, uh, point out some areas where um, the technology is, you know, it works, but it's still evolving quite a bit. And, uh, and also try to highlight for some people, you know, um, you know, Kubernetes has to integrate with a bunch of other things um, because the world's not all greenfield. So we're going to integrate with, like you said, Telco NFE and OpenStack and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see it, how it integrates with, with public cloud stuff. So, Thank you very much for the time today. I think we're going to wrap it up with that. Um, any, uh, if folks, you know, kind of want to reach out to you, say over Twitter or some other way to talk uh, Kubernetes networking, is there a good way to, to get in touch with you? Yes, uh, feel free to uh, connect with me through um, Red Hat Mark on Twitter. Cool, and that's probably the best way. All right. Well, good deal. Well, listen, folks, with that, we're going we're gonna to kind of wrap it up. Uh, thank Mark for his time today and, and kind of digging into all the different areas of networking for Kubernetes. And so with that, uh, for Mark and for Tyler, we're going to wrap it up. Thank you for listening, and we will talk to you next week.